Today is week two of our series on Acts, and specifically a journey that me and another friend of mine who is a pastor in uh, Snowflake, Utah, um, and he's a Presbyterian pastor, we crafted this series together, and we wanted to focus, because he's a Presbyterian pastor, I'm a Methodist pastor, and so we felt like we all needed a little bit of a jazz of the Holy Spirit, you know? We don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot within our traditions on Sunday morning especially, you know? Uh, but we wanted to talk about it and we wanted to explore it for us a little bit, at least as we see through the book of Acts. Uh, this writer, as you know, that started with Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and carried it into the church. And last week we talked about the craziest thing about all of it is that the book of Acts is all about God handing us the power that God showed in Jesus. So God gives the church, God's people, this power to witness to God's love in all the world. And we talked about the, just the, the big, grandiose task that is to embody God's love in the world. And, and the tool that God gives us, the person that God gives us is the Trinity, or sorry, it's not the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit, one of the components of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is there enlivening us and empowering us to be what we thought we couldn't be. But what is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? We had a Tuesday night table talk gathering with some folks here at the church that we gathered together and we read uh, the scripture from last Sunday and we talked a little bit about what the Holy Spirit was. And we had everything from, well, I grew up Baptist and we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit ever because the Holy Spirit was the Bible. <laughs> it was the third person of the Trinity to the Holy Spirit is the wind and the rain. It's the sort of the connective piece that allows us to experience God's love, that God's love. And, and so there is a vast way in which we both experience the Holy Spirit and we articulate the Holy Spirit together. Before I go into a little bit of what I think it means for us today or what the scripture I think has to say to us today, I want to reflect a little bit on uh, an experience of the scripture where it says everyone shared all things in common. And I'm thinking specifically about it because my friend, Nathan, who I wrote this series with together, well, he was a friend from college. And so we, I had just the best college experience. We had a small group together of a number of guys and we were just, we went to Vegas together. We went to all sorts of other places, camping trips, beach trips. We did everything together. We were known on campus, a small Christian school campus for being the D group, which is what we call small groups because we were just tight-knit. A professor was our mentor, and, and it wasn't just that. It was the community that I got through, the courses I was taking, the ultimate Frisbee team I was on. I just felt really good about the community I had. I felt good about myself and about who we were trying to be and how we were trying to live out God's love in the world. And, one of the, and so like, when I heard this scripture, right, like we all had everything in common. It's like dorm life, right? You know, you shared things together, you lived together, you spent your time together, and you fellowship together, you read scripture together. Like, this is what we were living. But one of the refrains that drove me bonkers was that people would often say, well, just wait until you get to the real world. All of this sorts of changes when you do it. And, and in hindsight, I mean, it's been 15 years now since I graduated from college, but in hindsight, it, it is different, but it drove me nuts because the idea was that what I was finding there, the meaning and this connection, this fellowship, was something that was isolated to my college experience. 
And so every time when someone said the real world, wait until you get to the real world, or things are going to be harder in the real world, or you know, cherish this now because when you go to the real world, it's not going to be the same, it, it just made me cringe and felt like I was going to now miss out on this holy experience of community together. And, and, and I went after college to Japan to teach English, and I you know, went away from my community. I separated myself from that because I wanted to do an adventure. Everyone kind of went our different ways. And so there I was trying to figure out how is it that I get what I had lost there in the real world, and anxious that it was going to go away and not be there. And that's, I think, when I began to realize that what I had experienced in that Christian group and the community that I had was really a movement of the Holy Spirit in my life. It was a time in my life when I experienced something holy. And I, and I say that because at, in Japan, I got a sense of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, at work there in the ways that they would articulate community and your obligation to community. Because one of the things that was there, I remember driving down, I've told this story before, a road with my buddy Nobi, who is a Japanese ex-professional snowboarder in the United States. So he spoke English, so we'd go up and go snowboarding all the time or go surfing. And we were going on this small little road on our way to uh, Fukushima or the mountains in Fukushima. And, and there we were, like, just like, it was like the size of the aisle here in the center of the sanctuary. All of a sudden, this big truck comes up. Right? And I'm like, Nobi, you gotta stop. And you know, so he starts to slow down. And then all of a sudden, the strangest thing happens. And you can appreciate this in Hawaii, because this wouldn't, I don't think, happen, right? Especially in mainland, it wouldn't happen. The, the big truck stops and goes beep, beep, backs up and gets out of the way. And then all of a sudden, you know, allows us to go by. And I go, Nobi, what just happened, <laughs> right? What just happened here? And he goes, wah. And I go, yeah, wah, what? And he goes, wah. And I'm like, yeah, wah what? What are you talking about? And he goes, that's a phrase that we use in Japan. It's, it's called wah. And, it's, and he articulated it not as like a sense of duty or a sense of obligation as much as it was the spirit that connected us as a community that enabled them to work together that enabled them to work together. And so it was this like aura of being a body, like a, a group together. And you could see it not just there in that example. Because, you know, in the U.S., you know, that big truck comes in, that big truck is barreling through. If you're smaller, get out the way, right? You're smaller, get out the way. Especially those lifted giant wheel trucks in California where I was at school at. I mean, watch out. But you saw what in everything that you did. I mean, we would have, on recycling day, you would have to go to, would take your recycling bin, and then you can't just, like, bring it to the side of the curb for the big truck to do it. You had to get all of these clear bags, and you had to separate every different color of glass and then different types of plastic. So you'd have five different bags. We call it like sorting day, once a month. Everyone would be like our group of our compound of other American English teachers. We're just sitting there sorting all of our stuff, and the brown glass goes here, goes here. And if it wasn't in a clear bag, they wouldn't take it because they wanted to look at it. And I was like, what in the world is this? And then on top of that, one of the practices, I swear, I think that we need to instill in our schools so that it comes into our homes, is at the end of every school day, you want to know what the kids do? They clean. 
they clean the, the school building. And so you have one classroom that's designated to sweep the hallways, another classroom that's designated to like take little like cloth of water, soapy stuff, and then like little scoot across the floor, mopping the floor. And it's just, the, and the thing is, is it's the most fun time of the day. And when you ask them, why do they ask their kids to clean their building, they say the same thing. It's wah. It's the spirit that connects us. And as I was learning more from my friends in Japan about this connective spirit that they would have that caused them to live more closely in harmony together and to respect one another, I started to realize that my college experience, while it was powerful, was a work of that very same spirit, a work of the very same spirit that connects us together. Because that is essentially what the Holy Spirit does, after all. There's a lot of things I don't know about the Holy Spirit. People have different experiences. They have different ways of enabling the gifts that the Spirit might bring. And so rather than kind of saying, like, this is the Spirit at work, and this is what it needs to look like in your life, one of the things that I do when I think about the Spirit is what doesn't the Spirit do? Like, kind of like, what are the boundaries of the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Because that helps us kind of see it, recognize it, and press into it when we can. And, and if you think about it, our, our, the Trinity is a super difficult thing to explain, right? You got God the Father, Mother, you got God the Son, Jesus, and you got the Holy Spirit. And somehow each of them are different, but each of them are the same, and it doesn't make any sense because one plus one plus one equals three every time, but somehow in our Christian faith, one plus one plus one equals one, and it makes zero sense. But the best way that has ever been articulated to me is to think of speaking or singing as a way to talk about the Trinity. Because you, for example, take a look at the Gospel of John where it says the Word was God, the Word was with God, right? And then the Word came and became flesh and dwelt among us. In a, in a conversation or when someone speaks, there's three things that need to happen beyond the listener. One is you have to have someone speak. Two is you have to have the utterance itself, the Word itself that was spoken. And then three is the sort of harmony or the vibrations of the word that travel to the listener. The one who speaks a word, the word itself exists, and then the process, that like the vibrations that bring it to your ears. And so if you think of that as the Trinity, you have God, the Father, Mother, who speaks. God spoke over the chaos of the waters, which we'll talk about as we gather around the table. God speaks, and then Jesus is that word, that Jesus is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. But the process by which we're brought into that is the Holy Spirit. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us into Christ, the body of Christ. And one of the reasons I love the Trinity as well is because God calls us to be in relationship, period. I think that life change happens within the context of relationship with others and with God. But relationship with God is never one-on-one. -on -one. It's always brought into a community, which is why we say when we gather around the table and we pray every single time, 
make us into the body of Christ. Make us into the body of Christ. So the work of the Spirit in our lives is a work of bringing us in to the body of Christ, to helping us be together. And so I wonder, when was your time in your life when you felt at one with that community around you? That you felt that you were grow, that you were able to talk to them about your faith, you were able to share with them your vulnerabilities, that you were able to feel that, like, that experience that others say you can't find in the real life. Because I think that that might have been an opportunity when the Spirit was bringing you together to the body. Because it's not just in the church, right? Like in this building, it's not just here that the church lives. But God makes it happen all throughout our lives in different pockets, which is why we're going to talk next week about looking for the Spirit at work in your life. And so if you encounter someone who says they have different experiences of God and different ways of, uh, of feeling and living out the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the things I say is, that's awesome, because the Holy Spirit's mysterious. But another caveat, what I say is, how does that help us be the body of Christ? How does it help us draw in as the body of Christ? And is that the Holy Spirit? Is that the Holy Spirit? And friends, I wasn't planning when I did the series to talk about the Holy Spirit making us one in the body of Christ in the way that I'm going to talk about today. Because when I planned the series, I did not know at the time that May was going to be a particularly highlighted month in the life of the Methodist church, <laughs> right? And if you haven't read the news, I got a text from a church member that was, you know, from the Star Advisor folks, the Star Advisor, that here in Hawaii, they're talking about the Methodist Church splitting this month, if you didn't know about this. And, and I say this because the way in which I have engaged all of this conversation around human sexuality and some of the divides that are in the church has been framed for me by that experience of law. And by my re reflection on college and that moment of feeling connected and in community, and so I say, what is the Spirit up to and how does the Spirit draw us together in this? And I preface that. Let me just explain just a little bit of what's happening, right? Because I think it's important for you to be informed. So if you're visiting with us and you know nothing about Methodism, I'm sorry because we're just jumping into a little bit of this today and I have a little bit of time to do it. But Methodism throughout the past number of years has been on like a collision course with dividing over many issues, and one of which being human sexuality. And, and so uh, like four years ago, or I, I don't even lost track with time with COVID, but we gathered together because what we do as United Methodist Church, we decide how we're going to be, like our book of discipline. And we don't have a, a pope or a bishop that proclaims what we're supposed to do. We gather globally with uh, Methodists from Africa, from the Philippines, from all over where they're United Methodists, and we make our decisions collectively together. And so we gathered together as an entire body, and we were about to divide at this like big annual every four-year meeting, and then they decided, okay, let's hold up, let's hold up, because the Holy Spirit brings us together. And we feel division right now, right? And they want to, they, so they decided, we're going to wait 
they're gonna, we're going to table this issue, and we're going to wait till January when we're going to address this. And we did all this, like, preparation for it and different things. And then in January, we met, and they had a number of different plans and proposals, uh, one of which is just to be, like, the one church together through this. You can agree to disagree and just be together. You had the progressive plan that was going to say everyone was welcome. doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, trans. We're all gathered around the table. And then you had another side that was a traditionalist side that said, no, the Bible says X. Y, and Z, and even though I may disagree with that, that's what they were taking of their interpretation and, you know, saying that everyone had to agree with us, and so that means there could be no LGBT weddings in our sanctuaries, no LGBT clergy, so on and so forth, and, and we've seen some of this divide. In the end of the day, one of the things that happened was the traditionalists kind of won that conversation. And so they put into our law at the time, that perspective at the time, which really all that did was set the stakes for the collision course because the western half of the United States, as well as many churches that I know and have been involved with, were like, no, this is not happening. We're not going to do this. And so everyone was gathering the energy to meet again for the next quarter or like quadrinium, the next four years gathering. And that was supposed to happen in August. And we had gotten this amazing, like, uh, conflict resolution guy that has worked in, like, Palestine and done all sorts of stuff to help develop some plans. But then with COVID, we postponed the gathering in 2020, uh, this year to, like, 2024, just because then it would match every four years it was supposed to. And the traditionalists that had made the plan to begin with also made a backdoor to that plan which was to say that they could, that any church that didn't like the traditionalist plan could leave and take your property with you. Now they have decided to take that poison pill themselves. And so what they're doing is leaving. They're leaving the church. They're going to start their own called the Global Methodist Church, and you're going to be hearing more and more about it every day probably this month. It's going to be on CNN. It's going to be displaced because a lot of prominent churches throughout the United States that are traditionalist line, and then you'll see some global ones too that will go. I say that as a lot of context, I'm sorry, because this is not a sermon, but it's important for us. But it's in the reference of what is the spirit. Because friends, I grew up not Christian, and then I came into the church and I experienced the love of God in the context of the community of my youth group that helped me feel empowered, to give me, you know, I felt like I had to compete in other areas of my life, to be cool, you know, to do the things. And, and in that Christian community, I felt like I could be myself, and that they empowered me and allowed me to be a leader, and they just kept lifting me up. And in college, I experienced that sense of closeness and that sense of community. And then I went off to Japan, and I, I saw that, really that at work in other culture, and that really the Holy Spirit is there in those moments, bringing us together to be who we are. And in the church, when I grew up in, if I would ask the question about LGBT, there's absolutely not 100% a sin. And even in the college, that was the kind of reigning like way that they understood. But the more I reflected on it, and the more I have my own LGBT friends and hear their stories of them when they come out of the closet, they live into their true identity, they say this refrain that sounds an awful like, like the Apostle Paul, who says, I'm living into the newness of life. 
I have my buddy Ryan who was with us when we started talking about sexuality, Bible, and controversy in preparation as a church community for a split in that January meeting. And he came on the video and he told his story and he said, I was able to breathe and to be myself. I was able to be who I, God had made me to be. And that's when I, and I realized that the work of God, the Holy Spirit, I do not believe is one that's going to separate out those people, but allowing us to live into who we are. And it, and it breaks my heart that as a church, we're separating. Because I, I wish we could be together. But one of the challenges that I have, and I think that in the future of our church, we're able to live into a wholeness that we weren't able to live into before. Because I remember a bishop that was in North Carolina talking to our young adults, because we were ready to, like, uh, go, <laughs> right? Because a lot of our young adults wanted to be open and affirming, and North Carolina Annual Conference was not all the way there yet, just calling us to unity. And unity works great, except when it's at the expense of those excluded. And so I remember staying there and saying, unity is great amongst those who agree and disagree with this, but what about our friends and people of the church that don't feel they have a church home because they are LGBTQ? And I think that's the challenge that we're in. And as a church council, we gathered some years ago and we made a statement, you can see out there, we put some flags up on our sign out front and at the kiosk there because our statement was all, all are welcome at this table. That we believe that the work of the Holy Spirit draws us together and allows us to be free as we are. That that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, I can't tell you period. I can't tell you how many times, because it's been a lot, that I've talked to people from our church or people that have come into the church that have said since we made that statement, thank you. Thank you. Some of our longtime members have said thank you for articulating what I, I hoped was true about our church. Some of our, our parents of youth that have grown up in our church that have our LGBT have said, thank you, my youth feels like they have a church home still. They feel like they have a church home because they grew up when we didn't talk about it and we didn't, they didn't know. And then they hear the news of the Methodist church splitting, they wonder if when they come back, if this church will still be for them. I mean, think about that. Born and raised in this church, worried about coming back and if your church, Ohana, will love you and accept you and welcome you. And if we are a spirit-filled church, why wouldn't we allow the fullness to gather around the table? And so, friends, I'm, I'm talking about all this because it's important this month. Because you're going to hear about us in the news. And, and so if you want to know what's a tagline, one, you can tell them, hey, listen to this sermon if you liked it. Two, you can say, I believe that the work of the Spirit draws us together around the table. Period. And that's what my church believes too. Right? That the work of the Spirit draws all of us around the table together. 
where we have a seat, a voice, a place. And we'll be in the news. I promise you we're going to be in the news. And this is the thing. My buddy went a different path today with his sermon, and I unfortunately couldn't go that way. But you wonder what he said he has encountered a lot is people that are skeptical of the church. They're not skeptical of God. They're skeptical of the church because the church they experience as the one pushing out. How do we be the church that welcomes in and communicate that more and more to all that we encounter so that they might find hope in God in the community that gathers us around the table?